listeners, welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Veronica Kim and I am the host of this program. There is a game that you can download on your smartphones that recently became very popular among the younger generation. I'm pretty sure that all of you have heard of this game. It is called Pokemon Go. This is not like other phone games that you just sit still and play by just looking at the phone. This game actually uses Google Maps on your phone and makes the players gather items by walking around starting from their home area. It allows you to also battle other players for points and items as well. Some people have said that it actually helps some children because it actually makes them walk outside to play the game instead of sitting in front of their computer or phone at home. There are people that actually walk multiple miles a day just to play this game, and they praise this game because it has allowed them to get exercise as they play. However, there are also many people that believe otherwise. People concentrate so hard in finding Pokemons as they walk that they don't pay attention to where they are going that they get into accidents. In the state of Arizona where I live, there are actually signs on the highway that tell the drivers not to play the Pokemon Go game while they are driving. This was a new type of game that allows people to walk around and get exercise instead of sitting down with their phones in their hand. Studies show that up to 2.5 million people play this game in the United States in one day. On the other hand, there have been many stories of accidents caused by people playing this game. There was an incident where a child had to call 911 because he fell into a manhole while walking along playing this game on his phone. There was another incident where someone walked all the way to a part of town that was not familiar to them and they ended up getting robbed. In Texas, there was a person so into playing this game that they were bitten by a poisonous snake. Japan was full of accidents as well. They had reports of many people getting lost or even getting into car accidents while playing this game on their phones. There were also reports of people walking into the area of the Fukushima nuclear power plant that was completely destroyed in the tsunami disaster of 2012 while playing this game. They had to put up cameras in the area just to make sure that people did not enter this dangerous area looking for Pokemons. What is this Pokemon Go game? Why are people actually risking their lives just to play this game? When the music fades and all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's of worth That will bless your heart Search much deeper within, past the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. 
As I looked at all the people playing this game that became such an issue, something important came to my mind. I'm not trying to criticize the people who play this game. I just see how devoted they are to playing this game as they are walking into dangerous places. The cemetery and even a nuclear power plant just to gather all the Pokemons. It makes me think about how devoted we are as Christians to spread the gospel to everyone. The people that are playing this game are working so hard to collect Pokemons in a game that isn't even real. They're placing all of their focus on such a trivial thing. But how focused are we on Jesus Christ, who saved our lives and gave us eternal life with Him? Do we think about Him as we walk and drive, or even walk into dangerous places for Him? When we compare our passion for Jesus to the passion that these people have playing this game, can we really call what we have passion? Being pleased over giving worship just one to two times a week, being proud of yourself for having quiet time and reading the Bible, being happy for completing some volunteer work. Should we be pleased with just this? Of course it's better to do all these things than nothing, but can we say, that we all have passion for Jesus while doing these things? Do you remember what Jesus replied to the Pharisee when they asked which of the commandments was the most important? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 and 38 says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, it is to love God with all my heart, my soul, and my mind. How are all of you showing your love to God, the God who has given you life? I give you my life. I give you my trust. Jesus. You are my God.
sermon by Pastor Mark Martin of Calvary Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Today's topic is, I am not in control, based on James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Mark. Titled the message, I am not in control. Would you say that? I am not in control. Now, those of us who are control freaks, we just choked on that, didn't we? I am not in control. Would you just do me a favor? It might feel awkward, but everybody's going to be awkward together. Would you just turn to somebody? It's okay and say, I am not in control. Would you do that? I am not in control. And now, this is fun. Say, and you are not in control. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I want you to go to James chapter 4 with me. James chapter 4. I want to tell you a story while you're heading there. It happened some years ago, but it's about a young guy who wanted to go to Alaska, and he really did, to a remote part of an Alaska. And there he wanted to take pictures and, and record the beauty of that area. So he took with him 500 rolls of camera film. Now some of you, it is totally sick, you don't know what rolls of camera film are, right? <laughs> but those of us who do remember, the camera film had to be what? Developed. And so that meant you were careful what you took pictures of because you're gonna have to have them developed and they're pricey, right? And so if you had a picture that didn't turn out, you still had to pay for that. Whereas now we just delete them and it cost me nothing. But he had 500 rolls and then he took with him 1,400 pounds of supplies, of provisions. Now, he made careful provision for how he was going to get into the place, arrange the airplane ride, you know, uh, landing on the lake, some unnamed lake out in the wilderness, and he was planned and ready to go. But about November, when the weather was starting to change, he, August actually, he was writing in his journal and he said, made careful plans to get in here, but didn't make plan to get out. I'm not sure how things are gonna work out, we'll see. By the end of November, he had died. 
Now, the reason why he died was because he had made, it's crazy when you think about it, how can you make such careful plans to get into a remote place but not think about making a plan to get out? I don't understand, but I can tell you that a lot of people are living that way. They're living in such a way that, man, they've got their whole plan, you know, uh, for this life. They've got it all settled out. But when it comes to getting out of the world, they haven't, you know, I don't know. I haven't even thought about that. How am I going to get out? Because they're so busy with, with what they're thinking about today. Now, in James chapter 4, you can see that James addresses this in verse 13. That's where he begins his discussion. James talks about the foolishness of living life without taking God into consideration. He addresses this head on in James 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life For you're a mist that appears for little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There must have been some business people in the church there. <laughs> not putting anybody in business down. But, you know, they had their plan. Maybe James overheard this. They had their plan. They said, well, according to the most recent stats or according to the, the most recent polls, if we do this and that, then this would be the result. We've studied the demographics. Look, don't get me wrong, gang. There's nothing wrong with planning. Does everybody hear that? There's nothing wrong with making plans. But if our plans we make, we do so without bringing God into our plan, we're just being foolish and arrogant. Some people, even believers, are living their lives like practical atheists. I mean, you believe in God, okay, that's maybe a little different, but you don't live like there's a God. You don't bring God into your daily life. Maybe God's just there for an emergency. We want to bring God into our plans because we remember, and this is the first thing I want you to think about, we remember that God knows the future. We don't know the future. So it's helpful to bring God into the plan, don't you think? He knows the future. One, one translation translates verse 14 by saying, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. <laughs> I like that. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. There aren't many things we can know for certain, but one thing we can know, and that is life is uncertain. Right? You can count on that. And I do not like change. How about you guys? I do not like change. I I like to know. Maybe that's part of the I am not in control problem we have. But I don't like change. I'm not good at change. I, I need to go to classes probably on change. But they'll change, probably change the date and time the class starts, right? 
There was this pretzel stand I read about that was uh, on a real busy uh, place, you know, in downtown New York City. And, and the gal who ran it, delicious pretzels. And there was this guy, a businessman, who would walk by every day. He put 25 cents on the cart, and then he would walk on by and not take a pretzel. He did this every day, 25 cents on the cart, and he'd walk Oh, right by, did it week and a week, and probably, I think it was the third week, she, she stopped him and she said, sir, I, I, he says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to ask me why I put 25 cents on the cart and I always walk by and everything. She says, no, 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 I just want you to know the price has gone up. It's 35 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, don't you? <laughs> You know, just about the time you think you've got life figured out, it changes, doesn't it? In Proverbs 27, verse 1, it's worth writing down. Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow, since you don't know what the day will bring. We can't brag about tomorrow. We want to be in control. But sometimes that can be a real illusion. A lot of times we overestimate the value of our own skills, our own knowledge, and it leads us to make mistakes. And one of the hardest challenges for people is to accept what they really don't know. An example of overestimated knowledge took place a few years ago when a a Spanish lottery winner was asked how he selected his ticket number. He answered that he was positive his lucky number ended in 48 because he said, I had a dream of the number seven for seven straight nights and seven times seven is 48. (laughs) So sure, positive. See, it's an illusion sometimes that we think we know what we don't know. Now, would you hold your place here in James, okay? Make sure you hold your place and go to the left, to the Gospel of Luke. Go way uh, to the front of the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke, to chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And in Luke 16, Jesus told a parable about a man who lived overconfidently without consulting God. Luke 12 and verse 16. Jesus said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? You have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus comments now, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, this man made his plans without connecting with God, and they truly are man-made plans, okay? Those were man-made plans. Didn't ask God what I should do, and God says, fool, fool. 
you didn't connect with me. Now, if, if you'll jot these down, I think this will help. Here are several important reasons to consult God as we make our plans. The first important thing I think of is that I should consult God because God knows what's going to happen. We've alluded to that earlier, but God knows what's going to happen. So shouldn't I talk to the one who knows what's going to happen if I'm going to make a plan, right? He has foreknowledge. So it doesn't make sense to not bring God into our planning sessions. He knows the end from the beginning. And he's never surprised by anything at all. God takes into account all the factors about things that we could only guess about. The second reason we want to bring God into our plans is that he blesses his plans. You can count on that. When you get your plan from God, God will always bless his plan. If we go back to James chapter 4 and we look at verse 15, James says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord, what gang, wills, we will live and do this or that. I mean, how did Jesus teach us to pray? He says, We are to pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, everybody, your will be done. See, part of our praying is that we say, God, I want your will to be done, not just in the world, but in my life. And so James here says, you know, instead of praying the way you are, you ought to be praying if the Lord wills. If the, say, if the Lord wills. Now, I don't think he's just talking about those words. I do find myself saying, you know, I, I frequently I say, well, I'll see, you, I'll see you next week, God willing. Now, it's not, it's not because, it's just because I'm, I'm thinking it's the will of the Lord. I want to, hopefully, according to God's will. It's not saying the word so much as is having that attitude of heart. If the Lord wills, right? If God wills. You don't have to say it, but we want to have that attitude. God only blesses his plans. So save yourself a lot of grief and get your plans from God. We can make our plans, but only God's plans work out. I'm, I'm going to give you a reference, and you can write it down, and if you're like one of those speedy reference finders, fine, you can catch up, but it's Proverbs 19.21. And this is, this is what it says. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 19.21. I, I like the way it's translated by one translator. He says, we humans keep brainstorming options and plans, but God's purposes prevail. Now, I, there's nothing wrong with brainstorming. God gives us brains to think, and, and God, God gives us the ability to make plans, but he's saying it's the purpose of the Lord. You could say the plans of the Lord that stand. So, gang, we want to get our plans from God. We want to get our plans from God. 
Well, you say, okay, how? What you're talking about is great, but tell me how that works. Okay, some things, let's say you want to do something. You need to look at the Bible and you just say, does God's word say that's an okay thing to do? Or is that a thing God's word is really clear that is not a good thing to do? You will never be the exception to that. Understand? So that is a clear way to make a distinction between what is a good plan and a bad plan. Does God say it's okay or not? Okay, you say, well, it's not really in the Bible. There's a lot of things the Bible doesn't talk about. But God's word does give general principles. So then you look at it and you say, well, if the Bible doesn't say right or wrong about this, well, what is there a general principle in the Bible that would make it pretty clear that oh, that's really not a good thing to do or mm, that's a great thing to do? Go ahead. There's no problem with it. Okay, what if there's not a general principle? Ugh. All right. And some of us are there. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Then this is what I do. I, all I can say is what I do. This is what I would do, is I would say, okay, Lord, I love you, and I want to know. I'm not a little rebellious person over there, I want my own will. I want what you want for me. And that's what you guys are, right? I want it, Lord. But God, Father, you gotta talk to me in a language I understand. I'm one of your special needs children, okay? So I, you gotta talk to me in really simple ways. And God knows that. And really, we have this discussion. Lord, you gotta, if it's pictures, you know, I like books with pictures, how about you? Just show me, Lord, what to do. Now, you know what I trust? I trust that when God sees a child like that or like you who loves him so much and we're saying, I don't want to make a mistake. I want to be careful, Lord, that, that I'm in your will. I, I want to make sure that this is your plan for me. Do you think God's saying, well, I'm going to make it really hard for them. And if they miss, oh, 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 they're going to get it. Are you really thinking that's the father art of God? No, it's not, and you're right. No, it's not. Sometimes, to further confuse things, I don't think God wants to confuse, but God doesn't care. I don't mean he doesn't care, but he's saying, you could go through door number A or door number B. It doesn't matter, number B. <laughs> I told you I should speak to me in very clear ways. You go through number one or number two, it, it's okay with me. I don't care. They're both great rides. They'll both take you to the same direction. There's nothing wrong with either one of them. And we're going, okay. What if you say, oh, I missed it. Somehow I missed God's will. You know what? You precious child of God who doesn't want to miss God's will. You know what? The bus will come around the second time for you. You hear that? The bus will come around because God, he loves you. And if you miss the bus, hey, just wait for the next one. Because God is not in the business of wanting you to miss his will, especially now when, when you love him. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, here, here is a principle. And it's found in the scripture. And when I ask people, what's your favorite scripture in the Bible? It's interesting to me how many people 
tell me this one, and I, I don't think it would be that. I would think, what's your favorite verse in the Bible? John 3, 16, you know, for God's love, the world. They, they, I never see that. It's not the favorite verse. But you know what usually is in the top two? It's in the book of Proverbs. So hold your place in James. Go to kind of the middle of your Bible. You're going to find the book of Proverbs. You'll see Psalms, and next door is Proverbs. And look at Proverbs chapter 3. And this always tops the list of people's favorite verses in the Bible. And you know what? I'm glad. I'm glad. Proverbs 3 verse 5. How about reading it aloud with me? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Okay, so this, and then it goes on to say, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You want God's plan for your life? Here it goes. Here's some real clear guidelines. First of all, trust that God's going to take care of you and guide you. Secondly, don't lean on your own understanding. Oh, man, I know it all. See, that's the problem with the the folks in Proverbs. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. God tells us that unless we bring him into our plans, we are being arrogant, selfish, and evil. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own what? Understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Lord, I'm putting you first in all my ways. God says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. You really think God is going to show you his plan if you aren't seeking him and his kingdom first? It's very important for us to do what we know. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So God also expects us to not be walking in an evil, sinful path. If we are, do the about face. It's called repentance. And get back into God's will, and then God will show you his plan. You know, one more reason, and if you go back to James chapter 4, one more reason to bring God into our plans is because life is short. We don't know how long we're going to live. Yes, is that true? Insurance companies love to tell you how long you're going to live, don't they? None of us know how long we're going to live. Life is short. It's transient. We don't even know if we're going to be around tomorrow. Can't guarantee that. One of the things that I I might have told you before, but one of the things that really is, I don't know, I think about a lot is, can't tell you how many times I'm at the door after service. I like to go to the door. I don't like to just leave, you know, do my thing and leave. I like to go to the door. I like, and if you come through my door, I know if you haven't been there in three weeks, I'm watching you, I'm watching you, okay? I know. <laughs> so, but there'll be people that I'll, I'll say, hey, goodbye to you. Have a great week. Or maybe I'll give them a hug. And then they'll die. Something will happen to them. The heart attack, the stroke, the car accident. I'm t- I was talking to somebody 
last service, before this service, and they said they were at a memorial service where a 21-year-old who got into a car accident and died. Oh, I've been to a lot of services for eight, ten-year-olds, and I know it brings up other questions, but my point is I never know. I never know. You never know. Life is short. Life is transitory, isn't it? It's brief. I don't know what tomorrow brings. And so we've got to bring God into our plans because life is short. In verse 14, James says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring for what is your life? Listen, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The New Living Translation puts it this way. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. The Greek words for, for these, some of these words in here are, are significant. One of them speaks of atmosphere. We get a word atmosphere for it. It's just breath. Another one speaks of breath that... The idea is when you breathe out, like when it's super cold outside and you breathe out in your mouth and you, we say, oh, I can see my breath, you know? But you can never get it back. The Bible's saying, hey, think about this. Life is short. You don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. The verse could be translated this way. What, after all, is your life? It's like a puff of smoke visible for a little while and then dissolving into thin air. Life is brief, life is fragile, that's the universal testimony of people in the Bible. King David, he said, for my days disappear like smoke. Later in, in Psalm 39, David says, my life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. Job, he says, my life passes more swiftly than a runner. He says another place, how frail is humanity, how short is life, how full of trouble. Like a flower, we blossom for a moment and then wither like the shadow of a passing cloud, we quickly disappear. A lot of people, I'm telling you, a lot of people are like that guy I told you about in the very beginning. They plan, plan, I know where I'm going, I'm, I know it's going to happen, I've got all my prep, I've got all my stuff. And then when it comes to the end, they realize, wait a minute, I didn't plan for the end of my life. I didn't plan. Whoa, I made a big mistake there. People plan, but they don't plan for the most important time of their life. How that guy didn't know how he was going to get out of there. How are you going to get out of this? Just got to ask the question. How are you going to get out of this life? The Bible says that there is one way to get out and there's only one way. And that's to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, Jesus says, I will give you eternal life. And see, eternal life is God's plan. I want the Lord's plan. I want to be in God's plan. Okay. Then God's biggest part of the plan, the big deal is that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and as you do so, you got eternity 
planned, okay? You don't dare want to live this life without having the eternal plan. And God's made that plan for you, all right? And it's a matter of, of you saying, okay, I'm stepping into this. This is something that you can know. This is something that won't change. Because the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. That's who Jesus is. I have a sense that, you know, I really don't have to talk a lot about who Jesus is right now. I don't have to tell you a lot about him who he is, when he lived. But, I, you know, I can remind you that he died for you. And this is stuff you've heard before. Maybe you've just been, ah, not now, not now. I've just got to remind you, life, life is fragile. And I shake hands at the door and I don't know if I'm going to see people and you don't know if you're going to see me again. It's important that you don't put off a decision to bring God into your plan. The plan is there, it's free, and this is one thing you can know for sure, that Christ came into the world to die for sinners. Jesus Christ came that we might have eternal life, and when we place our faith and our trust in him, and we say, we come to him contritely, say, God, I need your help, God, I'm a sinner, I've done wrong things, I'm sorry, but I want eternal life, because you have to think, what's gonna happen to you after you die? Two things. Heaven or hell, reality, two things. Where are you gonna spend eternity? Well, I guess there are two plans, but only one makes sense, would you agree? And that's to give Jesus your life, and based on what he's done for you, he will give you eternal life. He'll come into your life, he'll change you, but you gotta be open to that. And I wanna give you that opportunity right now. So please, would you bow your heads? You got a lot of people right now that at this moment now, they're starting to pray for you. You came here, how cool you're here. See, that's part of God's plan. God changed the whole sermon deal for you. What if you're the one that God said, hey, I want you to do Wednesday's message, and it's just for you. What an awesome plan God has for you. You must mean a whole lot to God. You do mean a whole lot to God. So this is what we're gonna do. The Bible says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Calling means praying. Whoever pray, and you pray a prayer where you acknowledge God loves you, that, that you've done wrong things, that you have sinned and you're sorry for those things, and you realize you need Jesus who died for you and rose from the dead, proving that your sins are forgiven, and you ask God for a new life, he will give you a new start. He's got a plan, and you can step into that plan and know you have eternal life. I want you to pray a prayer like that with me. I'm gonna pray it phrase by phrase just because you might not know what to say. I want you to pray this with me. I don't want you to pray it aloud right now, okay? Just between you, me, and the Lord, and you have tons of people praying for you right now. So pray this prayer with me. Father in heaven, Thank you for loving me and for sending Jesus to die for every wrong thing that I've done. I'm sorry for my sins. I've sinned a lot. I'm sorry that I've put you off. But I believe that Jesus died for me and he was buried 
but he rose from the dead. I believe my sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done. Please come into my life. I give you my life. Give me a new beginning and be my my savior, my master, my Lord.
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. Following is a program called "If Anyone Wishes to Come After Me." Hello, listeners. This is Brian Winston, your host of the series "If Anyone Wishes to Come After Me." Did you spend any time last week thinking about why you follow Jesus? Was your decision impulsively made, or did you decide to follow Jesus after comparing the gain and the loss, and knowing that it's worth it? I hope you were able to think about what it really means to follow Jesus. Sadly, we live in a generation that persecutes Christians. Actually, I'm not too sure if it's right to call some of them Christians. Let's say that they claim to be Christians. They live without being differentiated from the world. If the world points a finger at them for living holy and righteous, they are not claimed to be Christians, but are real, authentic Christians. The people I call claim to be Christians are the people who live like non-believers. They call themselves Christians, but are not different from the world at all. They sometimes can't even meet the world's moral standards. Do you know of any non-believer who says, "If that person goes to heaven, then I will not go to heaven"? Have you met any Christians who are asked, "If you are a Christian, then in what way are you better than the non-believers?" Can we differentiate between the true Christians and the claim to be Christians? How can we do that? Did Jesus ever tell us about these things? He did. Jesus told us who the real followers of Christ are, and who will go to heaven later on. Sadly, those who claim to be Christians believe that they will go to heaven, for they believe in Jesus. We need to be clear about this problem. Do you believe you will go to heaven? What makes you believe that? Is it just your feeling or mood, or is it because someone told you so? These feelings, moods, or someone else's words. Cannot be the trustworthy foundation. Think about how shocking it would be to believe in your feelings and mood, or someone else's words, and later find out that you can't enter the gate of heaven. Whether someone can or cannot go to heaven depends on Jesus's words, because it is through Him we can go to heaven, and He is our only way to heaven. Then, what did Jesus say about entering heaven? Let's take a look at Matthew chapter seven, verses thirteen and fourteen. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus tells us that there are two gates. What are they? One is narrow, and one is wide. What is the difference between them? 
the narrow gate leads to life, but since it is narrow and small, only a few find it. How about the gate that is wide? The wide gate leads to destruction, but since it's broad, many people enter through it. Is Jesus clearly telling us the difference between the two gates? Or is he just briefly explaining them to us? Jesus is clearly telling us what the difference is between the two gates. How about you? Do you clearly understand what Jesus is telling us? Do you know the difference between the two gates that lead to destruction and life? If you know the difference, then which gate are you walking through? Which road are you taking? This is very important because it is related to your eternal life. Which gate would Jesus want you to walk through? How about Satan? Which gate would Satan want you to walk in through? Jesus continues talking about it in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. After Jesus talks about the two gates, he warns us to watch out for the false prophets. It is because they will lead people to the wide gate in destruction. Then how can we recognize the false prophets? How can we recognize the false prophets who are coming to plunder us? That's right. Jesus tells us that we may know them by their fruits. Can we recognize them by their outward appearance? No, we can't. Since they come to us in sheep's clothing, we cannot recognize them. In other words, since they come to us as nice people, we cannot know. The only way we may know is by looking at their fruits. What do you think the false prophets will say? Do you think they will tell us the way to life? Or do you think they would tell us the way to destruction? The false prophets will never say that they will lead us to destruction. They surely believe that you will go to heaven as well as their followers. However, if their fruits are not good, then they should not believe in their words. Jesus is telling us these words. Don't believe in the false prophets who bear evil fruits. Don't be tempted. They will lead to destruction. Do you think Jesus' words are too extreme? Do you think that a person may bear good fruit and bad fruits? But Jesus is clearly telling us that the good tree cannot bear bad fruits and the bad tree cannot bear good fruits. He also says that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Every judgment should not come from our own thoughts or other people's opinions. The right foundation of judgments is the word of Jesus which became flesh and came to us. Even if you don't think it seems right, or even if others say that it is surely wrong, if Jesus said no, then it is no. And if Jesus says yes, then it's yes. 
We can't have any objection to his words. I hope you would take time to reflect back on yourselves based on his words from today. Are you walking towards the gate that leads to life? Or are you walking towards the gate that leads to destruction? What fruits are you bearing? We have come to the end of today's message. May you have a blessed week.
that we must place God first in our lives. That is correct. God should never come after anything else in our lives. We cannot place God second or even third in our lives. God is important and should always be first in all our lives. However, I think this alone is not enough. This is because after we place God first in our lives, we then think it is okay to place something else second. Because I am full of sin, after placing God first in my life, I place my needs second, my wants third, and my leisure fourth. This is how I think even after placing God first in my life. I seem to place those wants, needs, and desires in my life, but they should not come between me and my relationship with God. But if you read carefully what Jesus tells us is the most important commandment, then you can see that there is no room to fit anything else in your life. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If we follow what Jesus says and love God with all our hearts, souls, and our minds, then there will be no room for anything else in our lives. That is because we have completed everything. If you see an opening in your life for something else, that means you have not committed to everything that Jesus said. It is because we have not committed fully that we try to fill those openings with other things in our lives. People all over the world put all they have into a game that gives them pleasure. They concentrate on this game so much that while walking and driving, they don't realize the danger that comes their way. How are all of us in our lives? How much passion and concentration do we give to our God that sent His only Son for us? What kind of love and passion do we have for God? Are we all following the command that Jesus told us? We should not give God what is left or just put Him first in our lives. I hope that we love Him with all our hearts, our souls, and our minds. I hope that we all have this passion in our hearts. This ends our Unity in Christ program for today. I hope to meet all of you again next week. Have a wonderful week and God bless.